Morning. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Titus chapter 3, verses 8 to 15. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies. Sorry, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self condemned. When I find when I send Artemios or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to spend, speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases in urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Titus. Uh, we want to thank you for the way that you've been taking us as a church. We pray now as we hear from your word, as we use this time uh, to continue our time of worship, that your spirit will speak to us, that you would drown out the noises and the distractions that are going on. And may it be for your fame and for your glory that we learn are impacted through your word and may we put it into practice what you're saying to us, both individually but also as a community and followers of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This morning, I want to jump straight into what we're going to be unpacking uh, through this last section of Titus. Uh, This morning, we're going to be looking at a reminder, and then finally, a a warning, and then finally, again, a reminder. Now, I don't know how you found the book of Titus. I don't know if you've enjoyed it. I don't know if you've been uh, journeying with us. I know for me, it's been a constant reminder that God's been using to challenge personally a few things in my own life. One of the things that's been very clear, I don't know if you've noticed, if you had three verses to the book of Titus or three uh, um, verses or sections to this song that's called the book of Titus, one of the things that's very clear to me in chapter 1, verses 4, it's very clear that true grace and peace can only come from God, nowhere else. The second verse to my song that I'm learning is that true grace should compel us to live holy lives. Grace doesn't force you to turn around and go, I'm living a holy life because God is somehow going to bring a smackdown on me, as Zach reminded us this morning. I'm wanting to live a holy life because if I do, this will go well for my relationship with God. This is what God wants me to do. This is good for me because he's my heavenly father who loves me. The third uh, verse to the song that I've been chewing over in my head in the book of Titus is that grace is what makes us right with God. You can see that in the chapter that we unpacked last week. And this morning, we start off with a reminder. In verse 8, he talks about this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to insist on these things, Titus. Paul's writing to Titus, this pastor who's got some challenges in his church. What Paul is saying to Titus is the things that I just reminded you of in the previous verses that we just explored last week, Titus, they're reliable. They're reliably talks about the life, death, resurrection, and the return of Jesus Christ. They're reliable because they're actually from God. They're not made up by Paul. They're actually from God himself. But 
the language that Paul is really encouraging this pastor is not to just inform your church, your people that you meet with Titus, that yes, Jesus died for your sins. Insist on it. Be compelled to remind these people to the length that Jesus went to. Always bring it up in your conversation, Titus, when you sit down and have a coffee with someone. Talk about the grace of God. When you're preaching a sermon, talk about the gospel every time. Not just in those evangelistic meetings. Every time, all the time, proclaim the gospel of Jesus. You need to stress this point. Don't ever stop talking about the gospel. He's encouraged as a pastor to beat this drum. What is that drum? We've been unpacking that over the last few weeks. The gospel of grace. But the gospel of grace is not something that you sort of just keep to yourself and you go, oh, that's really nice. I, Jesus loves me and that's it. It actually should compel you to do something. Something happens in your heart. It actually should cause you to do good works. Uh, in the verses that we just read, it, it talks about thinking it through carefully. Don't just uh, um, just... Uh, go into good works. Think through these things. You need to process this uh, reality of the gospel of grace. You need to process in your heart these truths that Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, died for you and for me. That he was willing to save you and me. Not only that, he's clean, cleansed me. He's washed me clean. And then he comes and lives inside of me. Through his Holy Spirit. I belong to God, the creator of the universe. I can call him my heavenly father. I'm forgiven. This is what the grace is about. This is amazing. How can I keep this to myself? I need to live this out. And I need to show people that Jesus is amazing. Grace is wonderful. And so Titus is encouraged to tell his people, devote themselves. Devote themselves to good works. Uh, what it's saying is you're doing this good work in such a positive way that the people are watching you going, there's something different about this person. They're, they're, this is talking about people who don't know Jesus. So this is not about us, you and me, walking around church and doing good things at church and people go, wow, what a good Christian. No, this is talking about People at your workplace, at your school, at home. People who have no idea about Jesus. And they see you doing things and they see you saying things and they're wondering what's going on. There's something different about you. And in the, in the passage here, actually, it's actually talking about the work in the context of actual work. Your workplace. That's the language that's going on here. So the church, even this morning, what about us? See, in light of what Jesus has done in our hearts, what he's done in our lives, it should actually cause us to live it out. We should cause us to devote ourselves to good works. Now, I've got to be very careful here. I'm going to unpack what that really means. And now, good works, I'm not talking about when you go through the shopping center during this time of year, you see all the Christmas appeals, all the mail that comes through and everyone's asking for you to give some money towards a great cause. And I'm not talking about a good work in where you just sort of tick your box of generosity for the year. Then you get your tax refund. This is not the kind of good works. This is talking about a lifestyle. 
This is talking about devotion because you have been changed by the love of Christ. So wherever God has placed you, in your home, in your school, in your uni, you are a missionary. And what you're doing, this good work, is, has nothing to do with glory to yourself so that you get the praise of people. It's because of what Jesus has done in your life. When people are watching you, they're wondering, there's a motivation that happens in their heart going, hmm, there's something different about this person. I need to find out. See, a grace-based kind of good work is motivated by what Jesus has already done. It's not so that you can get brownie points from God. And when it does it, it impacts something much further. It goes deeper into a relationship with those people around you who don't know Jesus. And they ponder and consider why. But I, I, look, I've grown up in the church for a long time. And one of the things I've noticed when it comes about good works, for some of us, grace, we understand. We accept it. God has saved me. He's shown me grace. And now we're waiting for us to go to heaven or we're waiting for Jesus to return. We just live our daily life. We're not engaging with the world that God has placed us in. For some of us, you're sitting there going, finally, good works, something practical. But at the heart of those good works, it has nothing to do with because of what Jesus has done for you. It's actually driven out of you desiring to be a saviour. And thinking that you're the one who will solve this injustice. See, this is not what gospel grace-based good works looks like. Recently I was chatting up uh, with a friend of mine and he... He's grown up in the church. He understands the gospel. He knows all the lingo. He knows every single detail about it. And I was talking to him and we've been exploring grace. And one of the things he said to me was, Shabu, for the first time, as long as I've known about this whole Christian thing, I finally comprehend grace. And there are people littered in the church, he says, that talk about grace They think about grace, but they don't really understand grace because, Shabu, if grace is real, if God is real and this is what grace means, I should live this out. I can't keep it inside. It needs to affect everything that I do. And what this passage is saying, there's a third way, which is because of the grace of Christ that you and I move to devote ourselves to good works so that people don't see you, that people see Jesus. And they go, there's something different about you. And they may be moved to ask questions. And that might not happen for a long time. But not only that, it's not just doing good works. It's using good works to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That you talk to people about Jesus. When they ask you why. And you never know what God's going to do with these good works. Most of you have heard of William Wilberforce, I'm guessing. The gentleman who, uh, The Amazing Grace, the movie came out. He's an evangelical Anglican. He came to Christ in a most amazing way. But this man fought for slavery. But I don't know if you knew this, but he also championed causes such as the Society for Suppression of Vice, so against prostitution. He was also the one who set up the British missionary work in India. He also created a free colony in Sierra Leone. And he was also started the church foundation called the Church Mission Society, which still exists now. 
And also, he started the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Now, I don't know if you knew that. This is all driven by a man who loves Jesus. Now, he knew his good works does not save him. I'm not saying that. But he was compelled that he saw things in this world and he said he needed to show the love of Christ. See, word and deed go together. It's not one or the other. They have to go together if you're living in this sort of paradigm where you're driven by grace. That you're doing this good work for Jesus, for his glory, but also part of that is in the hope to proclaim the word, the good news. I don't know if you realize, friends, that if you're a follower of Jesus, to those people who don't know, you, uh, don't know Jesus, you are a billboard proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. In your words, in your actions, in your reactions. So this week, when you go back and the political discussion is going on about what happened this weekend, how will you respond in a way that brings glory to God, despite of whatever your political leanings are? And you must have convictions on those things. How will you show Christ? Because this is what this verse says, that these things are excellent and profitable for all people because it is driven from an eternal perspective. And so this is what it means to do good works. That is gospel-based, grace-based, and actually it's a lifestyle. And from that reminder, we are given a warning. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law for the unprofitable and worthless. As if for a person who stirs up division after warning him once, then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So we know in, in Titus, there's a group of guys called the circumcision party. They're the Judaizers. They're sort of saying, yes, grace, yes, Jesus, we get that. But to be a really good Christian, let's add this extra bit to the gospel. So the context in the background is, this is what Paul is addressing, I think, to Titus in talking about in verse 10. In chapter 1. And this is what he's sort of bringing out. There's this group of guys who are sort of tying this Jewish heritage as sort of a superior thing. And they are actually really getting into a discussion which does not actually make sense. This is what this verse is saying. That this instruction that they're talking about, it sounds sort of good. It sounds very theologically really sound. What Paul is saying to this pastor is, listen mate, just get out of the way. Don't tie yourself with this discussion because it is a waste of time. It's pointless. It's nonsense. It does not make sense. And then he goes into the verse about uh, someone who's divisive. It's connected together. Because at the heart of all these discussions, it's leading into division. And so he's telling Titus, don't get yourself drawn into it. He's reminding Titus what you need to invest your time in, which is not these things. He just talked about what to invest in the previous chapters. This is talking about people who have some sort of real deep conviction about some sort of theological issue. They constantly are talking about it. They can't help talk about it. That's the first thing that comes up in conversation. But at the heart of it is actually a little bit deeper that they are trumping this over the gospel of grace. That's saying this is far more important. They love talking about it. A few years ago, I went to uh, a, a, a friend of mine who's in the music industry. He doesn't know Jesus yet. And uh, we saw, I saw him at a concert. And uh, he's, he, he's quite involved in the music scene here in Australia. And 
I was chatting to him and he's like, yeah, man, I've been wrestling with this faith stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, what's been going on? He's like, yeah, some Christian friends of mine sent me this video. And I'm like, what's the video? He goes, I'll send it to you. It was a video from YouTube, which is a great source, that talked about how all music things is all about Illuminati. I don't know if you've heard that, okay? Now, this guy loves music. He enjoys music. He's a gifted musician. These Christians were telling him how every music thing that he's listening to is somehow influenced by the Immunati, and he's part of the whole scene. Now, this young guy doesn't know Jesus. He's been confused by these things that apparently are true Christian doctrines. I had a good conversation with him. But it was not so long ago, I also had a conversation with a wonderful, I still believe, godly man who is with Jesus. Well, I went over to his place. He doesn't come to this church. Um, I went to his place to have a coffee. He sat me down because he knew I was thinking about being a pastor. And he said, I want to talk to you. I said, oh, yeah. He goes, what Bible do you have? Oh, I said, it's an NIV. Right, sit down. Pulled out a chart. But how the King James Version is the true version. The NIV is sinful. Now, don't get me wrong. This man is a godly man. <laughs> But for him, somewhere, someone had told him this thing that he got so caught up on that he did not even talk to me about, hey, Shibu, how's your relationship with Jesus going? He didn't get to the gospel. Do you have a friend like that who spends most of their time on YouTube or random articles? Maybe you're that person who can't help talk about this thing, whatever it is, but it trumps the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the heart of it, though, it's actually leading to something quite divisive. See, what's driving all of this is actually pride. It's not actually, look, I want to talk about it, I want to understand it. What's driving all of this is pride because they want to prove that person wrong. You know, it even happens in the church, and this is why Paul makes it very clear to anyone who goes from discussing all these things that doesn't make sense and bringing it into the church and trying to be divisive. If you want to read it very clearly, this is what it says. Warn that person once. Warn them twice. Then cut them off. At the heart of it, the reason why it's so severe is because division in a church will totally destroy a church. And particularly when it's around things that aren't as important. But this person is far more concerned of getting a group of people to support their view. And their factions are created and it destroys the church because it's all driven by pride. Rather than what they should be rallying around, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it happens even today. We forget about what's of first importance, don't we? We can easily get caught up on discussions that aren't as important. If you want to know what is of first importance, read Titus again. Chapter 3, you saw what was of first importance. The gospel, how we're saved, what Jesus has done, how the Holy Spirit lives in us. And in light of that, that's what you focus on. This is what you uh, talk about. I have been involved in so many discussions and I've seen churches destroyed over secondary issues where people have uh, created factions over issues such as end times, 
issues about what their view of spiritual gifts is, and they find it hard to talk in open, honest discussion, roles of women in ministry. I've seen people in friendships divided over it, where what they've done is some doctrine and conviction that they have, which is a good thing, they've turned it and trumped it and made it far more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And division comes in. Now, I'm not sure if that's a big thing for some of you. What about music taste in the church? Guess what? I've got my own personal preference on how music should go at Canterbury Gardens Community Church. But the church is not built around me. It's built around Jesus Christ. I can have an opinion, yes. But it's built around Jesus Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong about talking about your convictions. There's nothing wrong about having a healthy, fun, or even open debate about it, as long as it does not bring division. But don't even make a secondary issue a primary issue. Because the church is not about an individual. It's about our Savior. That's who we come to worship as a church on Sunday morning. Our preferences are left outside the door. We come to worship Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. And this is why the church is called a body of Christ. Many parts, one body. And at Canterbury Gardens, we have a statement of faith, what we believe. We have part A, the non-negotiables. Part B, welcome to Canterbury Gardens. And one of the great joys I love about Canterbury Gardens, we have people here from Presbyterian, Uniting Church, Baptist, Independent Baptist, Normal Baptist, part of the Union Baptist, other Baptists. We have Presbyterian, Reformed Presbyterian, Presbyterian. We have Brethren. Welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. This is something that God has done. (laughs) This is something that God has done. And like I said, there's nothing wrong in having a healthy discussion and debate about theological issues. It's a good thing. I would encourage it. But it's how you do it. Recently, I was involved in a conversation. I have no idea how I got there, by the grace of God. I'm sitting in a room who, uh, I won't mention names because I want to sound like I'm name dropping. I'm sitting in a room. He's an evangelical Anglican minister. He's a leader of leaders. Um, He has influenced lots of uh, Anglican ministers. And just actually, he's probably, if you're talking about evangelical, he's the guy that everyone talks about. Presbyterian. He's a leader of Presbyterian Church. He's got one of the biggest Presbyterian churches in Melbourne. Baptist, young leader. Lots of people listening to his podcasts and sermons. They're sitting there in a circle. I'm in the middle. I have no idea why they've invited me. Maybe to look multicultural or (laughs) maybe to have a good laugh at me when I say things. I don't know. I'm in this conversation and guess what they talk about? Baptism. Presbyterian. Baptist, Evangelical, Anglican. All have different views on it. And I got to see as a young pastor one of the glorious things seeing these men in a humble way, jokingly sometimes, unite around Christ and in light of that talk about the secondary issue in their, in their view, but still walk away as brothers in Christ. So this is what the gospel does. The gospel pushes away pride and causes us to be humble. Because Satan's desire is to divide. Christ's desire is to unite his church, to bring glory to his name. And finally, we're reminded about the reality. And I love how it finishes. 
It finishes with, I sent Artemis or Tychicus to you. Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, the winter there. Do your best to send Zionists. And he mentions all these names. All who are with you, with me, send greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I love how this letter ends because it shows very clearly Titus is not on his own. He's part of a bigger picture of God's gospel work of brothers who are journeying together. And not only that, there's no time to waste. Devote yourself to good works. We only have one life. One life. And we were starkly reminded of this, of the tragic loss of Philip Hughes, the cricketer. We have one life. If we're driven by love, we are driven by grace. What should happen is we should live a life that declares the gospel of Christ in a gracious way, loving those who don't know Jesus, pointing others and everyone to Jesus, both through our words and through our actions. Because, church, the grace of God is amazing. We're in desperate need of men and women who will invest this truth into each other and to the people around you. But also understand we're sent to a desperate world that needs to hear this truth. I'm going to invite the music team to come up as we close up this morning. And I want to use this time, uh, just they're going to sing a song as an opportunity for you to reflect on the grace of God. Let me ask you some questions to leave with you. One, is there anything that you're currently devoting yourself to that is really um, more about you than actually God's glory, the good works that he's called you to? Maybe you need to stop and give God the glory. Maybe you need to think to yourself, what are things in my life that I can do that I can do good works so God is glorified? Second, is there issues in your life, convictions that you have that you're so passionate about that somehow it's trumped the gospel of God, the gospel of grace? Maybe you need to spend some time putting things right in priority. And finally, let's go and live and love and serve in light of that. This morning, we were reminded of this vision statement and where we feel God's leading us as a church from the leadership team. The thing that can stop that, besides the sovereign hand of God, is also division within a church. So let's unite around Jesus, what's of first importance. And in light of that, let's serve together for his glory, his fame. So that Canterbury Gardens is great church but not really remember that jesus is remembered so use this time to reflect on those realities and let's sing together the good good time of worship of our great king let me pray father god i thank you for this morning i thank you for the time that you gave pray that you'll use what has been said through your word your word lord to change our hearts to live for you in jesus name amen